Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tennis with an Accent. Uh, we are in the middle of the US Open. Fourth round is underway. So I thought uh, this uh, episode will be more appropriate given the timing and the tournament. And today I'm going to be speaking to a man who caused arguably one of the greatest upsets in the Open era and definitely the US Open in fourth round. And no surprise here, my guest is Jaime Izaga of Peru, who knocked out Pete Sampras, who was world number one and defending champion at the 94 US Open. So I'm very excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show, Jaime. Oh, uh, thanks very much, Tiba. Um, uh, glad to be uh, talking to you. And uh, yeah, what a tournament it's been uh, going on right now in the US Open. You know, a lot of excitement and uh, great matches. Really, yeah. uh, the we- the weekend has been uh, has been very interesting and um, a lot of a lot of excitement. Really, and it's funny. Like we've been in talks uh, for a few months, and uh, it was very kind of you to just come when I requested on a very short notice. But it's also more special because twenty today is a twenty seven year anniversary when you took out Sampras at Flushing Meadows at the Louis Armstrong Stadium. What do you remember of that match? Ah, uh, well, yeah, um, yeah, that was a. Uh... <laughs> That was a great match, really. Um, was uh, a Sunday afternoon, yeah, I remember that. Um, and um, you know, like like the match, you know, New York is a special place, really, and the tournament is a special place. The stadium was very special, and uh, tough match, you know, playing number one in New York, uh, um, and you know, crowd. Getting in and out of the stadium, it's, it's it was tough in those days. I don't know. I think it's changed a little bit now, but but uh, yeah, great memories really. And uh, and uh, yeah, today I had the news that uh, it's the 27th anniversary of that match, so it, it was fun also. Yeah, it's a Tuesday. It, actually, it was a it was a Sunday. Yeah, and uh, yesterday I, I was watching the matches with my my wife and my kids, and I I said, well. It was here 27 years. It was Sunday. Well, now it got to be Monday. So, uh, yeah, it's fun to remember that. Yeah. So, again, and you had a decent record against Sampras, who was arguably, you know, coming into his prime. You know, he was the best player. You've beaten twice at the US Open once, of course, when he was a youngster in 88. You got him in, again, I think five sets after losing the first two sets. So, just relive those matches. I mean, how difficult was to play against him and how did your game match up so well against him. Uh, for someone who hasn't seen you play, it's fair to say Diego Schwartzman is the Jaime Izaga of today because you both are 5'7 feet tall and tennis has always been a big man sport, maybe not so much in those years, but Sampras, Lendl, Becker, these are all guys in Edberg over six feet. So just uh, talk about that matchup. What worked in your favor uh, against Sampras when others were struggling against him? Um... Uh, well, yeah, five seven, yeah, play a little bit different than Schwarzman, but uh, but um, probably I I I went more to the net and uh, be a little bit more aggressive on the match. But uh, what worked very well was keep the keep the ball in play. You know, Sampras. It was a warm afternoon, and um, and I I knew that the longer the uh, the rallies of the of the point, the more chances I had. Um, and uh, that's what happened, really. You know, it was a tough start. Uh, and then I start getting uh, feeling a little bit better on the court and uh, more used to, you know, always play always a number one on, in, a, in a stadium and in such a big tournament as the US Open. It's not an easy task. Uh, it takes, a, it takes a, 
you know, uh, sometimes hours to get used to it. So, so uh, I got used to it a little bit more on the second set and then I start feeling better every time. And, uh, and you know, we were, we were on the fifth set, so, you know, so it was tough and I was five, two in the fifth, he came back to five all, and I was, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to pull it out. You know, it's, it was, it was getting, uh, difficult Sampras was uh showing the tiredness and uh, you know it was always also uh difficult to play somebody that it's looking that it's gonna cramp and it uh and it then then an ace comes blowing through you and uh, so so it was a fun match we had everything going in the match a lot of people and uh and great experience um do it in new york you know uh it was for sure more special even no, absolutely. And then, uh, so let me ask you this. This happens a lot in tennis. Uh, we focus mostly on the top players, uh, but everyone is playing there, you know, uh, for a chance to win, chance to make to the next level, next round. So when you beat a player like Sampras, I know I'm asking questions from a long, long time ago. So if you, you know, can remember, you played Karl Novacek uh, next, I believe, and lost to him in five sets. That was a big opportunity for both of you. So when you come back... Uh, you know, you were a decent player in your own right, but when you beat a world number one, you didn't have the plans to go further. So what what happens once you are in the new situation, like playing for a semifinal of a Grand Slam? Do you already, you know, do you feel more pressure because, you know, you've got the best win or what is what, what changes mentally? Basically, that's what I'm asking when, you know, a player comes after a huge upset like you did when you took out Sampras. Um, well, you know, I disagree with saying that that you don't expect to be in the semifinals. I think what I mean when you get into the uh, into the court, even though you play the number one or you play number hundred, you you your your expectations are to win the match. And um, obviously, whatever happens in the match is something different, and 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 it can turn out to, totally different when somebody's whatever you're thinking. I was coming from uh, from a good year. I was having a good year. I was playing very well. I was very good physically, um, and I, I I really liked long matches. Uh, the round before I played uh, Cedric Piolin, I was two two sets down, and I I I, I won the match uh, on the fifth. I think it was a six-one in the fifth or something like that. Um, so you know I, I was I was coming uh, with a lot of uh, tennis playing and. Uh, and the uh, the game of Sampras uh, didn't really bother me. I really liked uh, somebody that comes to the net. I, I love people coming to the net and and uh, and me trying to get charge of the point. So so you know and yes, of course, uh, I think it, it got the toll. I mean, the toll on me uh, playing the five sets uh, on the long match. And it was the second, uh, I already had the Piolin match in the five set, the Sampras match on the five set. And I got to play Novacek and I really didn't feel comfortable at all on the match with Novacek. It was an afternoon, it was a windy afternoon. Um, it was a totally different uh, kind of game. Um, and it was tough. I never felt really uh, comfortable in that match. Even though it was a fifth set match, a five set match, uh, probably I got a little tired and my concentration wasn't there. You know, it was rough. 
Uh, I didn't feel rough. I didn't feel I didn't feel good at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I lost a great opportunity of being in the semifinals of a Grand Slam. That's something that sometimes when you're there, you don't really realize the difference between a quarterfinal and semifinal. Semifinals, you know, you was stop after and uh, but you know it happened. Carl was a good player too. He was coming from a very good good uh, matches too and uh, strong serve good forehand big guy uh, it wasn't easy it wasn't easy at all no very well said and I, I just want to clarify and apologize i didn't mean that you know players uh, didn't expect to win because a lot of times we hear when someone uh, players have said that when they see like a federer or a djokovic you know they don't make plans further of course they're professional they want to beat them but you know when you get that kind of a sampras or a djokovic kind of a win it changes you know <laughs> your the outcome of the tournament of course you were right every match is uh, professionals you know objective is to go out and win so i just want to clarify i didn't mean that so you i was also looking at some of the statistics you had a, a good record in five sets you won i think 18 and lost 13 or 11 so the longer the match went did you fancy your chances i mean right now when we look at today's tennis uh, kenishikori is one guy who's really good at five setters jokovic is really good at five setters So what what made you click on the five setters and even the third set I think in the best of three you had a good record in deciding sets so was it what, what the record what's the record on the five setter according to the ATP win loss section uh, your fifth set record is 11 wins and uh, sorry 18 wins and 11 losses and uh, in deciding sets including fifth and third both you have 73 wins and 61 losses so you won more when the match went the distance So just uh, uh, walk us through. Was it more mental? Was it more physical? What happens when it goes, you know, to the deciding set and you start winning? Is it, is it a habit? Well, I, I think uh, the, the most important thing is to be physically well prepared. You know, uh, in a five setter, um, a lot a lot comes to uh, physically, uh, and obviously the mental. But if 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 the uh, fist, the, the, your 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 stamina is not there, doesn't matter how strong you are mentally, you will not get there. So, so I think that was a very big uh, uh, part of my game, uh, moving well and, and and not get tired at all on the match. Maybe if it's a two three or like it happened, you know, that it was the uh, the third five setter, I got tired. Uh, but uh, you know. that was i think a very important part being really really in good shape to be able to uh, go all the way that's you know you are in charge of uh, being in good shape you're not in charge of winning the match because you have somebody in front playing also tennis but uh, you are really in charge of how well prepared you are for the match so so that's that's something that i really worked on and um, and uh, I, i wasn't afraid really of the long matches Sure. So let me ask you one more thing. A lot of time we hear the players, some players say they don't look ahead to the draw. They just look at the first match and the next match when they win it. So what was your trick? Did you look at the draw sheet where you were and did you look at the entire section or you were just looking at one match at a time? Yeah, I only looked at one one match at a time. I really didn't look at the draws at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no point really. I mean, on my perspective, there's no point really of looking ahead. You know, every match is different and every match is very tough. and uh and start wearing or looking what would happen if i win this match or the other one i, I don't think really makes or for me it didn't make any sense at all 
No, it's very well said because we are fans, you know, of course, our world is different. We look where you guys are, who's playing who, and we look, oh, this match will happen next Sunday. So that's it's kind of very refreshing that, you know, most professionals actually do that. They just look at the first match and then if they win, then they look at the next match. That's quite good. Uh, and another thing, again, you know, when I talk to former players, I look at who they have beaten. So you've beaten a lot of good players and you have a winning record against Mats Wielander, Stefan Edberg. You have a win over Boris Becker. Uh, you've beaten Sampras three times. I think you've beaten Agassi. So looking back at all the good players you played, who was the toughest opponent that you had the hardest time? Well, uh, I, there were two guys that were really tough to play. One was Ivan Lendo. I couldn't beat him at all. I, I couldn't beat him. I really did never beat him. I played him a couple of times. I played him like three or four times. I, mean, I played him a tournament of champions once uh, in New York. I played him uh, at the US Open twice. Uh, I, I couldn't beat him at all. You know, it was, it was tough. He was very strong physically, uh, difficult to beat, very difficult to beat. And then uh, the other guy that for me was very tough was Andre Agassi. You know, Agassi was a tough guy to play. He played re really fast. And I played also really fast, but he played faster than me. So so I really, uh, it was tough. I beat him once. I beat him once in um, in uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, I beat him once. But he was tough to play also. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a story there with Edward, you know, uh, Stephen, Stephen, uh, um, I play him. I, I, it was funny. I beat him twice in a week, you know, uh, inside seven days. So that was, uh, that was quite, uh, quite good for me. It was an accomplishment for me. I mean, you know, uh, that was in the year 94, um, in Madrid and in Hamburg. Um, I think it was 94. Yeah. And, uh, and it is, it's good experience. You know, Stefan was a great player. Uh, Madrid was a fast court, uh, and it was funny, it's, uh, you know, I would expect Madrid, he came to the net all the time, that's the way he, uh, you know, that's something different that we have right now, you don't see anybody playing on the net, like Stefan Edberg or Boris Becker, they come to the net a lot, or, or even now you, you don't see that, so Edberg came to the net uh, in Madrid all the time, I beat him, um, and then we went to play in Hamburg, uh, I think it was four days after because we played the uh, semifinals or yeah semifinals of Madrid, uh, and then uh, or five or uh, quarterfinals in Madrid, and then I played him on Hamburg like in Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that, and he stayed in the back. He played really as a clay court. It was a, such a tough match, you know, tougher than the one in Madrid. But that was an experience to play him twice in in less than seven days. So that's probably hard, yeah, because we see that all the time in the European clay swing or even in the Cincinnati, uh, Canada double. A lot of times the same players get to play each other within four or five days. So it's always tough to play the same opponent. So again, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are you know fans of like tactics and how players approach matches. So you're giving me food for thought here. Lendl and Agassi, two of your toughest opponents, both had big forehands. So compare the two games as an opponent for the listeners here. What kind of challenges was Lendl presenting you compared to Agassi? You already said Agassi took away time. He played fast. But how are the ground strokes? Who was hitting the ball bigger? Seemed like Agassi's forehand was bigger. But I want to hear from you the comparison, how Jaime Izaga saw Lendl and Agassi as, you know, fellow, as opponents. Yeah, different, different games, different games. Agassi would hit the ball harder. 
but uh, but I mean Agassi would hit the ball harder inside the baseline, so that was tough. Linda would let would let you play a little bit more, you know, uh, and and he was a stronger player, you know, very very well prepared, mentally very well prepared, very big serve, very big serve. So different different players, you know, different players. One one would play much faster than the other one. But uh, but they are they were very strong, you know. Anyway, uh, you know, Linda was very very strong, different, difficult guy to beat. But Agassi also had a great backhand, right? So where do you go against Agassi? Linda's backhand wasn't bad, but he would slice it a lot too, if I remember. And then yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know that was that made it very hard with Agassi because he had. The, the both both uh, strokes uh, were fast, and he would hit both, you know, with the same uh, uh, speed, you know, on uh, inside the court. He had a great back and down the line, and a great back and growth. It was tough. I played him a lot of slice, you know, drop shot, bring, take him out of the out of the back of the court, so where where he feels very comfortable. And Lendo, you know, Lendo. Uh, it's an all-around player, but but he would do some slides, and he would uh, the backhand wasn't that strong as Agassi, you know, and uh, and um, very strong mentally, very big forehand. So different games, different games, you know. And uh, Lendl usually you have to attack him, and you have to move the ball around, and and also you know it's tough to uh, play them, but uh, but it was it was fun. No, absolutely. So we were discussing in, among friends how tennis people say is more athletic and more physical today because most surfaces play the same. Wimbledon is played from the baseline. So all the top players in the top 100, they all are like great athletes. People are hitting big forehands, big backhands. Most players in the ATP tour have a big serve. So it's, it's the same template. But then if you look harder, within the baseline game, there's also variety. So how would you compare today's variety compared to your era when Lendl and Becker and McEnroe and you and Gomez, how has the game changed? If you look 35 years back and if you, you know, rewind it to 85, 90, those years, how has the variety changed when you guys were playing and compared to where Djokovic and Zverev are playing today? Well, I think there was a lot of, a much more variety of a game uh, on the 19th that, that what we see right now. That is for sure. I mean, and that is one of the reasons why, uh, I mean, Federer, uh, you know, won most of his matches very easy or, uh, or, or you know, he, he uses the whole, the whole court, you know. Uh, he makes you play from every corner of the court, moving the ball around and, and hitting different kind of shots, you know. Um, and then you have players that they just play straight, you know. Uh, I would say Djokovic plays a lot like that, just very, very much straight, you know. Don't miss. He doesn't miss at all. Um, but but I don't, I don't see that amount of variety right now as what we saw before, you know. And uh, that is a uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, sometimes tough. You know, I saw yesterday or during the weekend a couple of matches where they hit the hop the ball very hard, but uh, not much, not much uh, moving the ball around or making the other guy, you know, it's just, uh, I would say, strength and, and stamina going on. 
but that's the way it's played right now. Tennis has changed, yes. You know, you don't see anybody coming to the net that much. You I know, think it's hard uh, to come to the net. I Sorry to cut you off, but I think you can also weigh in here. Lendl was talking to Willander and McEnroe and Becker, I think, two years ago. They did a video podcast, I think, for Eurosport. And Lendl said when he came to the U.S. Open after, like, say, a decade or so, uh, uh, watching these guys play. Yeah, he said, yeah. looks like the ball's going to fly, but then it lands in. He said, in your uh, time, you know, it's a strings, right? So he said, the game has changed. There's so much more control with what these guys are hitting with because of the polyester strings. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the ball comes faster. And uh, they, they, I mean, they, they hit the ball faster, that's for sure. Um, probably that makes it tough to come into the net uh, or, or maybe do serve and volleys, you know, that's what, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it changed. I mean, um, the strings are different. The rackets, they probably keeps being different. Uh, a lot of good surf, you know, the surface. If you don't have a good surf, it's very, it's going to be very tough. You got to play every point. It was, that's something happened to me. I had to play every point really of the match, every point of my surf, because I really, I, I really, I really didn't um, make my surf uh, work for me. Um, and that is something that when I see a kid right now or a guy, I you know, as I mentioned, I mean, this and the surface, it's very, very important right now. I mean, if you are going to be playing every point and fighting for every point, I mean, the chances to win are going to be tough, you know. So you need a good serve right now. You, you really need to make any some more damage with the serve than that. that, that um, yeah. So, yeah, tennis has changed. Yeah, absolutely. You hit a lot of amazing backhands whenever I saw you play, especially that Lendl match and the Sampras match we talked about at the US Open. Both matches went five sets. So is there any player on the tour right now who reminds you of uh, your style? I know styles have changed, but is there anyone who you could think plays a little bit like you? If there's a young listener today listening to the podcast who hasn't seen you play, can you make a comparison of anyone who's out there who reminds you the way you played? Uh well, I don't. I don't know. I really, really don't know. I haven't really, uh, um, you know, uh, seen many, many of the players. You know, uh, usually I just see the uh, top guys or the uh, top matches. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't seen, uh, or I can say, oh, uh, I play like him or he played like me. Tough, tough to say. No, for fair enough. So when you see the top guys, especially the the new guys, I mean, who has impressed you the most? Of course, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, nothing can be said. These guys are like in a league of their own. But of the younger guys, who do you think has the best game and the brightest future? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of players that are, there are uh, you know, um, that are playing well. And they're, they're, they're right there already. They're on the top right now. And they're, you know, this guy, Esverev uh, is a good player, you know, uh, yeah, the guy. Uh, uh, Everest is the German guy, is that right? Sverev is the German guy, and then uh, yeah. he plays well. I like how I like he I like how he plays. Um, uh, I like how Tsitsipas plays. I would like him to improve his uh, backhand. I think his backhand is a very weak part of his game. Um, there's it's really a big difference from her forehand to his backhand. So that's where he gets damaged all the time. 
And, um, and so I think that's something that he needs to improve. But he plays nice. He plays well. He's a good player. He comes to the net. He serves well. He moves well. Um, I, I think there's 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 a, a few. I, I don't I don't see that. My, I I don't watch the players that are you know uh, on the lower rankings really. I see the matches of the of the, of the top guys. But they are you know there's a bunch of players that are playing well and, and obviously they're. I like these uh, um, Italian guys. They play well. Exactly, you know? isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Those two guys, they play well. I mean, they're, they play nice. Um, and uh, well, that that's yeah. So no, I think those so are some of the good names. Couple... Yeah, you covered some good names there, and they all seem to have a lot of bright, uh, you know, seem to have bright future. A lot of hopes of many tennis fans. So they can all have rivalries. So let's stay uh, and get your comment on Sitsipas. I don't know if you follow the match with Murray. He took the bathroom break and it became like the biggest topic in tennis. So when you guys were playing, and I always tell my friends, you know, we focus on center court, but there's tennis going on in 19 courts at a Grand Slam. So do you remember any matches where someone took a bathroom break? Because a lot of people think the bathroom break is genuine. Some people think it's a tactic to make your opponent wait but it's in the rules, so it's not cheating. It's just what the rules are. So were these breaks very common, the medical timeouts and bathroom breaks in your time, or tennis has become so much physical, we see more of this? Because uh, as a fan, I've been watching tennis for 35 well, years. We, I, I mean, I, 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 was, I really wasn't involved in, in that many bathroom uh, breaks. I, 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 didn't, I probably never took a bathroom or, or very little very few few times took a bathroom break and my opponents also very 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 few times they took a bathroom breaks i mean it didn't exist really on my times i mean and and we didn't have um and i don't i don't uh remember that imagine in in our time we didn't have the bathroom right there on the training room right there on the court i mean the facilities were different but i don't remember this going on uh uh, on my on our time, I mean, to have uh, eight minutes between uh, between a set and a, the other set, or five minutes, uh, I didn't remember that really at all. You think tennis is more physical now? Maybe that's why there's a lot of medical timeouts. Players sometimes call a trainer because this has been happening a lot, and you know, on both ATP and WTA. And sometimes fans think it's someone is doing gamesmanship, but you know, if you're a fan of a player, you think this that is right. On the, uh, is it happening on the uh, on, on on the Grand Slams, or is it happening also in the two out of three sets? It's happening two three two out of three sets too. I mean, not about the bathroom break, but I'm t- talking medical timeouts because Sitsipas was accused of gamesmanship by Andy Murray, and a lot of people felt he was doing it. So that's why I brought this question up. Uh, it does happen, I think, on both tours, uh, the the bathroom breaks and. Uh, I think there's a rule. I mean, I was I was. I was hearing this on the uh, on, on 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 the TV, and they say that uh, the ITF has a rule that you can uh, you can go to the bathroom for uh, you have eight minutes to go to the bathroom. Um, that was a rule. If he's taking advantage of the rule, well, he's in between the rule. Um, you know, I don't think there's a necessity for a rule like that. <laughs> Not on the men's at all, at least. But uh, but if the rule is there, I mean, if he uses it. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't know. It's tough to tough to uh, argue that, but I, I you know, um, 
I don't know if he's taking it really uh, an advantage of that, but it seemed that it bothered the uh, the rest of the guys because he went he did it on the next on the next match too. Yeah. Um, so um, and uh, in in our times, I mean, you change your shirt on the court. You don't change your shirt outside of the court in the bathroom. Uh, I think they're changing the shirt on the court, but right now they're changing the kit. They're going and you know the socks are wet. These conditions are very extremely yeah, humid yeah. and hot. So I think they go and change the entire kit. Shirts people are still changing on the court, but they go and change their shorts and maybe underpants and and socks. So I think that's what's been happening. Uh, well, not- you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think probably eight minutes is too much, too long. I think maybe you can do it faster than that. Uh, obviously, if, if, if I have to wait eight minutes after winning a fourth set, uh, and, and, and you know, the momentum, you lose the momentum. That's for sure. That's something that happens in every sport. You see it in soccer. The guys are all over the, all over the, uh, the grass waiting for the time to run and trying to, uh, to, to take the momentum out of the other guys. So that is something probably that, that the rule is used to be able to take a little bit of that momentum out. That's, that's, that's probably true. If that would happen, if, 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 um, if in that fourth set of Murray, Tsitsipas uh, uh, would have win the uh, fourth set, maybe he wouldn't go to the uh, bathroom. I don't know. You know, because it was done after the fourth set. Is that right? I think Tsitsipas won the fourth set and then he oh, went okay. to, yeah, he took oh, a break. Well, so it wasn't, uh, you know, so it wasn't done to, for, to take the momentum out of Murray. So and that's, I, what, that's, what, that's what Darren Cahill said on the ESPN, you know, if you, if, uh, I think uh, channel discussing this, he said, had Sitsipas lost the set again, you know, there's a big conversation because like you said, in your era, you don't even remember you or your opponents doing uh, this uh, or maybe this rule existed or not. So I think we've come a long way. Tennis is more physical. My point was when I've talked to other people that Sitsipas did it, we don't know if it's gamesmanship, but he's not the only one doing it. This has become like a very normal thing. We have seen it a lot. Kenny Shikori took a 12 minute break against (laughs) Rafael Nadal. Uh, in the 2016 bronze medal match, the Rio Olympics, and Nadal wasn't too happy, and Nishikori came back. I think he took a shower, and he won the match. So, yeah, this is not oh, the first time, and this is not the really? last time. Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. That's what I was asking yeah. you. Was Lendl doing it? Was Becker doing it? I don't remember, but then, you know, we don't have oh, no, no, all, no. all those matches. We didn't you know? do it. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, really, I mean, I didn't see it in our times, really. Okay. Uh, do you want to share any funny moments from the locker room? Uh, you know, not too private about the tour, about uh, the guys when you were playing, something funny that you remember about McEnroe or, uh, you know, any of these guys, Noah, no. Lacant? <laughs> no, they, they were just, uh, they were good characters. I mean, great characters, personalities, really. And uh, no, nah, I mean, they were just, I, I don't have any, any of that, but uh, they were great guys and uh, they, they were very, very... Uh, big personalities for tennis. Absolutely. So let's wrap this up. 10 more minutes and I'll let you go. You can go watch tennis and spend time with the family. Uh, coming from Peru, you, know, you won junior Roland Garros. But when I look at your statistics, you were a better hardcore player. So was hardcore a surface that you grew up with or you just were more comfortable and your game suited the hardcourts? Uh, yeah, my game was more suitable for hardcourts. Uh, I grew up in the clay. In Lima, we have, in Peru, we have uh, only uh, clay courts. But I moved to the States. I moved to the Harry Hopman Tennis Academy at Barmore when I was 15 years old. And uh, 
practice a lot in hard courts and uh, and he, you know it got it it got me some time to then go back to the clay. I won the French Open Junior in the clay courts, um, but yes, and then I won some tournaments in clay court too. But it was on the green clay court. Uh, Europe wasn't my 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 best place to play tennis until until 93, 94, where I really enjoyed being in Europe and playing the, the big tournaments like Monte Carlo and uh, Rome and, you know, and these big, big tournaments. But, but it was it was tough. I mean, you know, playing with Spanish guys, you know, with a lot of top, but it was, it was hard. So for me, it was difficult, but, uh, but, um, but um, I got used to it or I got more, more uh, um, prepared or better prepared to play the clay when uh, year 90, three and year 94. And how tough was it to travel? You know, again, tennis is a very tough sport. I mean, I've followed as a fan, but I want your perspective. When you're coming from Peru, you didn't have many tournaments on the ATP circuit. I don't know if they had any close by, but you're always traveling from hotel to hotel, tournament to tournament. So just uh, share some of those experiences for the young listeners here. How was the tennis store structured and the travel uh, and how hard it was, you know, when you're not able to go home that often? Oh yeah, for us, for the South American guys, you know, it's it's tough. Probably it's tough also now uh, because we, when we go to Europe, we have to go for a long time. Um, you know, it's a long flight from uh, from from our, our countries. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I think uh, when you're there, you think that the, that that the life is tough, but when you are out of this of the tour. I think you realize how tough really life is, you know, uh, uh, being on the tour, everything is, everything is great. You know, you're the star, um, everybody is doing things for you so you can uh, feel good and, and, and play good tennis. Um, so you really, when you're there, you only prepare, you only worried about tennis. So that's something that where you are on the tour, probably you don't realize uh, how difficult it's out of the uh, ATP tour. So that's something you learn when, with the years. Uh, and that is something that, uh, that uh, to take advantage once you're there on the tour and really enjoy the life you're living in. And, uh, and because it's tough, I mean, being around the world uh, week on and week off is, is tough. It takes your toll, uh, you get tired, uh, you know, sometimes you don't get good results and, and it's even worse. I mean, you, you know, you're, uh, somewhere in uh, in asia or in europe or in running um, uh, traveling around and uh, you know it's difficult uh but uh, i i think it's a wonderful uh uh experience is uh something that i really uh so fortunate to to be able to lift uh, uh, uh playing tennis on the atp and uh, and really learn how to fight and uh, and train and uh, and play the tournaments and, uh, and have good moments and have terrible moments. It's an experience, a uh, wonderful experience, really. And 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 uh, I think uh, uh, we had a we had a blast. It was tough, and like I said, probably when you think uh, it's tougher than than what really is. But uh, when I see it from now, I think it was a wonderful experience. Okay. okay, so I want to also talk about you know uh, the money in tennis because 
Uh, I talked to a lot of guys today who have run tournaments. I've talked to Soderling. I've talked to Thomas Johansson. I've talked to Miguel Siabra. And they all tell me, you know, like for a 250 tournament, I don't know what the 250 was called in your time, maybe a Grand Prix. Uh, you need a big name, right? And unlike your era when Lendl and all these guys were playing 20 plus tournaments, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, they don't play many small tournaments because they're playing the 1000 and the Grand Slams. So if they play, there's appearance fee. So talk about that uh, in, in that era, how difficult was uh, for smaller tournaments to get big names? And was there appearance fee like to get a Lendl or a McEnroe? And I think it's fair because the tournament needs a big name, but there's a big discussion on this that uh, sometimes a Fonini plays a tournament on clay after Wimbledon in Europe, but it's pretty clear that he also needs the appearance fee. You know, There's only small window of opportunity for an athlete to make money. So talk about your era about the smaller tournaments, were there appearance fees and, you know, uh, just educate us all because we talk about this a lot in today's time. Yeah, no, there's always been uh, appearance fees. You know, uh, the tournaments, the small tournaments, they need names. And there's always, you know, if they get a good name, they're going to, they pay an appearance fee. I think that's that's fair. I mean, you know, when you get these big names, the tournament sells out very well, um, and uh, so so that is something that it's it's through through our through my years also I saw that and uh, and it's something that has been going on and probably is going on right now. I understand the top guys have the obligation to play in uh, some small tournaments too, a number of tournaments. So. So, because I mean, without the small tournaments, there's no tour, really. You know, uh, the tour, the big tournaments feed from uh, from the small tournaments, from the uh, uh, this universe of players. So, um, the, the big tournaments or the big players need to keep the small tournaments alive. You know, uh, they need to make the efforts to be able to appear on the uh, on small tournaments and. And and be around the uh, the younger guys and uh, guys that are coming up, you know. It's the only way of keeping uh, tennis alive. It's uh, uh, with all the uh, action and all the tournaments around the big tournaments. So, but the, uh, but a fee, yeah, it's something that's that's something usual, really. No, well said because I think that's a gray area. A lot of fans don't understand, and you know, there's wild cards, there's appearance fees. People discuss this a lot. So let's wrap this up. Uh, final question. I know we discussed the Sampras match. Is there any other big moment? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not the biggest moment. What's what's your most fun, fun. moment on the court that you always remember, that you cherish, and uh, you miss those times? If you want to share with the listeners. Well, uh, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a great, uh, great round. Uh, and that was in the year 94, indoor, indoor, uh, in the Australian Indoor Open. Uh, it was played in Sydney. It was a very big tournament at that time. It's not played anymore. It was played. Yeah, in it was in the fall, right before uh, Tokyo. Yeah, they used to play Sydney indoors. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was uh, Malaysia. We played Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur. Then we played a tournament in. It was Sydney, and then it was uh, Tokyo, which was Seiko Open. Yeah. That was a small uh, mini tour, a very important mini tour around. Uh, and then it was end up with an exhibition in Hong Kong. Uh, so uh, I play there. I play a, a wonderful week. I beat about uh, three top tens on the, during that uh, week. I beat uh, Corda on the uh, finals, and I beat Courier in the semifinals. Uh, I, uh, uh, and I beat um, 
uh, Ivanisevic on the semifinals and I beat uh, Courier on the quarterfinals when he was number two. So, and there were, there was, those were uh, very, very tough players. And that, that was a wonderful tournament too, that I really uh, measured that probably not with the same as New York because of the uh, being at the open and, uh, and playing Pete Sampras and, and uh, beating, you know, when I, when I played Piolin on that uh, third round in New York, he was the runner up of the year before actually playing against, against Sampras and I played Sampras the next round. And I beat him, so it was fun because uh, you know I beat the I beat the runner-up of the year before and the champion of the year before. Um, but that tournament was a wonderful tournament, uh, great experience. You know, uh, beating the three top ten in a week is something uh, not easy to do, and the, a lot of emotions. And uh, uh, it, it was it was great. It was a really great experience. No, must great have been, yeah, it must have been an amazing week. And thanks for sharing this memory with us. And also, more importantly, thank you for taking the time out on my last minute request. Uh, hopefully, I'll give you better notice next time. But you made a great podcast. I hope everyone listening will enjoy. Uh, have, a, have a good day and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the uh, for the call. It's uh, always nice to to uh, being remember and, uh, and remember uh, um, these, these uh, experiences around and uh, bringing tennis to the people, you know, uh, that's what it is. I, uh, I really seen what, uh, what New York is doing this, this week, this week and this last weekend with the tournaments and the comebacks, it's really great for tennis and uh, seeing these uh, new kids coming in, uh, coming on and, 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 and being there. It's, it's, I think it's very good for tennis. <laughs>